Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. U.S. elections going on today. U.S. midterm elections, which will determine in a lot of ways where things for Joe Biden and for policy and for all kinds of things happen in the states. And and we all know this and we all get what elections are, clearly. I will say, though, that the U.S. system is different enough that every time we get to the midterm elections, I hear a lot of people and I talk to a lot of people go, I don't really get it. Don't worry about it. Just understand that it's really close going into this. And if the Republicans do really well today, they will have control of everything except for the White House. If the Democrats do really well, they will continue to have control. I want to bring in Laura Dawson. She is executive director of the Future, Border Co- Future Borders Coalition. She also serves on the board of the Canadian Global Affairs Institute, among a number of other things. Her resume is very long. She joins us now. Dr. Dawson, thank you for the time today. Oh, you're very welcome. Hey, Scott. So this is, um, normally we pay attention to American elections because, well, because we kind of have to, because we we have no choice. If we turn on our TV, we get American channels, and so we get bombarded with it. Is this one any more or any less important than all the rest? Because it seems as though every time we have an American election now, we hear leading into it that the entire future of civilization and democracy is riding, riding on this particular day. I would say this one is particularly important. This one is really different from any one that we've seen in recent years. I mean, it tends to happen that the party that's in the White House, when they come to the midterms, and you've got a lot of congressional seat turnover, that whatever the White House party is, people are kind of disaffected, so the opposing party gets more seats. And you've got a bit of a... Uh, a you could have the, a deadlock or you could have, you know, majority Republican in Congress and a Democrat in, in the White House. And that certainly happened before. But the U.S. has never had Republicans like this before. I mean, this is not the Republican Party of the Bushes and the Reagans and folks that were kind of business oriented and maybe a little hawkish on security, but generally Canada could get along with them. This party owes a ton to the extreme end, the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the, the sort of little Trumplings that have emerged and really are setting out to shut down the government, not to facilitate governance. So with a Republican majority, which it looks like we're going to get, this is going to tie the hands of the U.S. Congress for the next two years. It's going to be able to make Trump and his supporters say, look, Biden was a loser. He couldn't do anything. Um, and, and that's what they'll be aiming for. And for Canada, having a U.S. that's so tied up like that, so unable to govern, is not going to be a good thing. And I, I, I hear what you say about how the Republicans have changed. Is the same not true, though, that we've seen a lot more extreme left from the Democrats, that, 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 that the, in the middle it's become very vacant these days, that you have a lot of push way left and a push way right, and there's not much middle ground that people agree upon? Yeah, you'd be absolutely correct with that. The, the extreme left is uh, uh, certainly present among the Democrats. And in terms of Canadian cross-border policy, energy policy, trade, globalization, all the things that Canadians count on for their livelihood, Democrats in general aren't that great for Canadian trade. And the extreme left is really, really poor. But I think we're going to go from an era where, uh, for example, in, in the energy sector, you know, you've got 
uh, green virtue signaling, well, now those same uh, energy initiatives that Canada would like to be involved with in, like uh, Hydro-Quebec, uh, you know, uh, hydropower from Quebec, that's going to be blocked now by, by America folks. And energy from Alberta, that's going to be blocked by, by America folks, whereas previously it was left-wing uh, green virtue signaling. One of the things that always puzzles me about midterm elections, and maybe you can explain this because I've never been able to figure it out, is, gen- I mean, the states is unique that you declare your party publicly. Most people do. I'm a registered Republican. I'm a registered Democrat. That would seem that you are likely going to vote that way most of the time. And yet, as you've said, it seems every midterm after the White House is chosen, it swings the other direction. You would think that if the people liked the person who was going in the White House because he was a Democrat or she was a Republican, whatever, they would stick with that. It, it seems as though there's not a lot of rhyme or reason except that we hate everything that's going on all the time. It's both hating everything that's going on, but also the effect of tribalism. I mean, you're absolutely right that people do declare their parties, but we have a lot of, of vote splitting going on, especially in this election. I'm actually, I, I, I'm a Canadian, but I live in Atlanta, Georgia. So I'm in the area where Herschel Walker is running against uh, uh, Reverend Raphael Warnock. And there's two things that Georgians believe in. They believe in God and they believe in football and not necessarily in that order. <laughs> so uh, folks who love football, no matter what their, their political stripe is, especially if they don't think that politics really affects them, are going with Herschel Walker. Um, whereas other people who just can't, you know, can't stomach the guy, Republicans may be voting for Raphael Warnock because he is intelligent, he's articulate and well-spoken, but they may, so they're voting for a Democrat at that level, but they may still vote for the Republican governor, Brian Kemp, because I think he's kind of maintaining an even keel. So vote splitting does take place, departure from party loyalty does take place, but not nearly as often as in Canada, where it's perfectly usual to vote liberal at the provincial level and conservative at the federal level. You mentioned some of the impact that um, that U.S. politics clearly already is having, and, and energy is a big, big one right now here in the country about how we are going to be able to, well, I mean, for the rest of the world. I mean, Canada and the States are... are arm in arm as far as energy in some cases with the rest of the world looking for help. And we're, we're on the same side, I suppose, trying to get ways to help Europe or help Ukraine or those areas. But if a big change happens today, does anything actually change or is it just now that we just get bogged down more? So anything that is already in place, any programs, initiatives that U.S. and Canada have their sort of flying beneath the radar, you know, agricultural inspection of the border, uh, uh, navigation, etc. not a problem. But anything that's going to require uh, congressional spending, that is pretty much right off the table. Also, uh, anything that's going to attract the attention or the ire of the America Firsters by Americans, like, well, why are we doing business with Canada? Well, we can make do that at home. That's going to be a problem. And where I'm really concerned, especially for, for Southern Ontario, is this threat that's being made, and it's a very real threat, to impeach the uh, Homeland Security Secretary, uh, Alejandro Mayorka. So, as you know, the DHS, uh, DHS is responsible for Customs and Border Protection, right? 
So if they're uh, trying to impeach this guy, they probably won't succeed, but they can take up a lot of resources starting that investigation. So what are you going to have? You're going to have CBP that's already having a hard time staffing the Canadian border, um, distracted even further by the impeachment of their leadership, plus a much more uh, forceful demand to put more Customs and Border Protection Guards on the U.S. southern border to stem that Mexican flow, as they call it. And so trying to clear customs for travelers and trade, that's going to be a bigger issue. Um, you know, trying to move, up, move cargo across the border outside of normal working hours is going to be tough. So trade, travel, it's a 24-hour-a-day thing, and we're going to see those uh, those staff members really reduced at the U.S. border, and it's going to make things harder for Canadians. Are you at all surprised ever by the level of interest by Canadians in U.S. politics? And as I said off the top, I mean, we can't avoid it. It's inevitable that we're going to be covered in it all the time. But for 98% of us, probably, it's nothing more than a spectator sport. We don't have a vote. We can't do anything about it. And yet we are entirely wrapped up in it. And, and, and probably, I would argue in some cases, more interested in it than in our own politics. Oh, I would say absolutely. And and for a while it used to be, oh, look at those Americans. They're always, uh, you know, doing such goofy stuff. It's a good thing we're so sane and stable back home. But I don't, I don't think the uh, uh, events of the last, say, eight or nine months in Canada uh, you know, went certainly, you know, moving away from that kind of, kind of stability and a lot of goofy stuff back home. Uh, but what I think you know, Canada certainly needs to do is not just be sitting armchair quarterbacking U.S. politics, but really get a clear idea of what a very unstable U.S. is going to do for do to Canada over the next few years and what Canada can do to mitigate those challenges. Um, so if, if the U.S. economy is slowing down, if you can't get anything through Congress, we've already got a recession and global uh, destabilization – more than 40% of Canadian GDP comes from trade with the U.S. What can Canada do to try to find new friends and allies and sources of support outside of the U.S.? We've got to hang on to that relationship, certainly, but Canada needs to hedge, hedge its bets because dependence on the U.S. is uh, going to be a very poor option for the next couple of years. Well, and there's one other thing before we go here, and that is um, most things that happen in the States to some degree, end up happening here, maybe a little bit later. And I, I do think that when we watch what's happening, we are seeing evidence and ripples of that up here as far as the divisiveness and as far as the political fighting and as far as how we feel about people who we differ from. I, I think a lot of those things have made their way across the border, and this is only going to reflect it further as we go further. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And people living in the echo chamber of social media who really see this as a game or a sport and yes. don't see how political actions can affect our livelihoods and well-being at home. I, I think that's a really dangerous trajectory for, for anyone to be on, and we see it in the U.S., we also see it in Canada. Dr. Laura Dawson, Executive Director of Future Borders Coalition, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you for doing this. You're very welcome. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. My next guest has a, taken a slightly different tack in the jewelry world. 
Um, she's from Brantford, and, and when I was telling someone here at the station that um, that I was going to be having a woman who makes jewelry, and she's from Brantford on, the response was, is she the semen jewelry lady? Um, y- yeah, it's, uh, it's a different world. Amanda Booth joins me now. Amanda, how are you today? I'm fantastic. How are you? I am great. I don't know if that's an, a, a compliment or an insult or somewhere in between, but you have... You have suddenly grabbed a whole lot of attention by the jewelry that you make by sort of branching away from the norm. Yeah, it's been a little surreal, to be honest. (laughs) It's not something I figured I'd be famous for, but here we are. Well, I mean, I don't know that anybody would have. Um, So let's go through this for a second. You, for people who don't know, and maybe people haven't read about you or heard about you, you do make jewelry and you do make for lack of a better word, normal jewelry, but you've gotten into making jewelry out of other things like ashes and breast milk and yes, sometimes even <laughs> semen. It is a, it is a strange, fair to say it's a strange thing? It is, yes. <laughs> okay. How, how does someone get into making jewelry? How do you even find out you can make jewelry out of this? Honestly, it, like my entire business has been one giant happy accident, to be honest. <laughs> Um, I only started last year or about a year and a half ago where I just got into clay just as like a therapy for myself. Um, And my Facebook following and my Facebook friends just kept kind of throwing requests at me. Um, And I never backed down from a challenge. So any material that they kind of inquired about, I said yes to until all of a sudden I got a joke on one of my TikTok videos about have I ever incorporated semen into a piece before? And at first I was so offended because <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. it wasn't something that I'd ever considered. Um, and I put that joke out on Facebook and even came up with like a name for the whole joke as Jizzy Jewelry, right? And I ended up getting a, a lot, like a lot of serious requests. And I kind of had to sit back and think about it because I'm just like, who am I to judge, really? And if I'm willing to work with the material, then why not? So um, from a happy accident to and a joke to reality, that's kind of how everything came into play. You're, you're kind of the Bob Ross of jewelry, really. The happy little accident. Um, okay, so let's back up for just a second because mm-hmm. y- you had made jewelry out of ashes. And, and the breast milk idea, it, it's, it's strange, certainly. It's not something that everybody has heard of or done. But I have heard of people doing things with, I mean, with birth, with, with, with um, um, you know, different things from the birth process. I've heard of people doing things with it before. So it's not totally out there. Yeah. But how do you even... I mean, are you a trained jeweler or is this something you figured out along the way? No, it's all been just experimenting and um, problem solving on my end. Um, Because I'm primarily a clay artist, like a lot of these pieces that you see with like resin work or with with, um, ashes or breast milk, you see a lot in resin work. Um, So making the transition and trying to figure out how I could work with it in my medium um, was the main challenge. But then once I figured out how I could, it was just, all green light from there. Okay, so clearly, obviously, the the missing step here is that breast milk is liquid, jewelry is not. So how Mm -hmm. do you work with it to make jewelry out of it? Um, So I have to powderize everything. And technically speaking, if you're going to be putting it into resin, which is also like a liquid, you need to powder it as well. Otherwise, like you can, obviously, because it's a... um, uh, it, it can spoil, right? So you don't want it to mold or go bad. So you want to powder it. So 
Um, we have a special little concoction that we keep a trade secret that we mix in um, to dry it out. And then once it's a powder, or once it's dried out, we grind it into a fine powder. And then um, I just fold it into clay, kind of like you would flour and, and bread dough. And what do people, when, when it started again with breast milk, what, mm-hmm. did, what were people looking for with, with, as, as ideas? What Was it necklaces or earrings or what, what are they making with these? Oh, gosh. Well, I've had so many different unique requests. Um, I've done, like, jewelry pieces to full-blown sculptures where I've, I've sculpted, like, a mama koala and a baby koala or a, a mama bear and a baby bear. Um, <clears throat> so there's been so many different, um, different things that we've made so far. Um, but a lot of the time, uh, moms are wanting to incorporate, like, either their kids' birth, birth, birthstone colors mm. or I've sculpted... Um, scenery from like their nurseries. Um, I've also had a lot of moms who experienced loss, but were still able, like still producing milk. And so it was more of a memorial to the child that they lost. And well. you have done um, memorial pieces as well with ashes mm-hmm. or things like that. So that, I mean, and again, that was probably a little more typical, I would think of, you know, yeah. we've, we've heard of those things before where someone wants something that from, from someone who's passed away. All right. Mm-hmm. So, so, Again, the thing that has got you the most attention, I would think, even beyond the breast milk, is when you, as you say, you have someone call up and say, I, w- I want you to do something with my genetic material, shall we yep. say. <laughs> when that first was suggested as a real thing, did you say, like, I don't handle this kind of stuff. This is not my ex. Or did you say, I'll try anything once? Well, I think once, because we never got serious requests from it for it until I put the joke out there in a Facebook post, and that Facebook post kind of blew up. Um, but once we started getting serious requests, and I kind of like before I gave anybody an answer, I kind of took a step back um, to really like to really reevaluate it, right? Because like I think my reaction was just like everybody else's who's just finding out about it is just like, whoa, that's like I don't know, you know what I mean? Um, but after hearing my client's stories, um, and hearing why they want it done, um, there's some really beautiful, like um, why, why would someone want that done? Um, so for the main reason I, I personally find is that they want it to represent the intimacy and the passion in their relationship. Right. Okay. Um, we also have people who have struggled with fertility, um, and were successful or, or are still struggling, and they want it to symbolize their fertility journey. Okay, that makes sense. Um, right. Um, there's vasectomy gifts, right? So um, guys send in their sample before going for the snip. Um, some couples just want it as a little inside joke that's only between them and their partner. Um, and then um, even things like I have um, a woman whose husband passed away from cancer mm. um, and she didn't have him cremated. So she doesn't have his ashes or anything, but she, they did freeze his, um, his sperm before he went for chemo. So that is the only and the last piece of him that she truly has. So there's, there's a massive variety of reasons. Yeah. And, and some of those, I, I, you know, I, like I hadn't even thought of that, to be honest with you. I, I mean, I was thinking more that some, you know, just the guy at home goes, this will be hilarious. Uh, but I mean, it's, and probably you've got a few of those too, but, um, oh, yeah. uh, but you know, some of these, okay, they're, they're way more meaningful than I was even kind of thinking they would have been. Again, as soon, as soon as I heard that this was a possibility, I thought, I can't even imagine who's sending these, <laughs> these in now with these requests, but, uh, it, it does make some more sense when, now that you have been getting attention, uh, mm-hmm. And you've got a lot of attention. I think you're like millions of people on TikTok, right? Have have found this now. 
Yeah. Are you just like completely swamped with requests now? Um, we're we're busier than we used to be. I guess I could say because um, I blew up last year for my uh, memorial and my breast milk jewelry. So last year, around actually around this time in November, um, we've been going absolutely nuts ever since then. So I don't know if this this increase has even registered yet <laughs> for me. Um, but yeah, no, we've, we've been a lot busier, so it's, it's been interesting. Well, Christmas is coming. So if someone needs a really unique gift, uh, the website is trinketsbyamandabooth.com. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't know if it can be done by Christmas, but, uh, people, I guess they can take a shot at it, right? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, as long as, uh, they're fairly simple orders, we can try and rush things as much as possible, but getting on it now would probably be the best idea. Trinkets by Amanda Booth. Dot com is the website if you want to do it. Amanda, th- thanks for doing this. Really, it's, it's a fun story. It's really interesting. Thanks for doing this. Of course. Thank you for having me. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. I truly believe that most people in this country do not object to paying taxes. I really don't. There are some, of course, but I think most people are quite okay with the concept of paying taxes. The one thing they are not happy about or they bristle at is when the taxes that they're paying are not spent in a way that they think is or are appropriate or that the government or governments, whatever stripe, could be blue in Ontario, could be red at the federal level, could be orange out in BC, wherever. If governments are spending money in a way that people don't think is being careful with their money, that's when I think people get cranky about taxes. Well, saw a story today and I thought, and we had talked about this. We had talked about this the other day. We were, after the uh, mini budget, we had an MP on, member of the government, and I asked this question about this particular thing. It was not her area, it was probably not fair to her to answer this question because it's not really her uh, department. But the question was about the CBC. Whether you love the CBC or whether you don't, the CBC gets a lot of money. And this story today, and I want to bring on Franco Terrazano, who is the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. He pointed this one out. Uh, Franco, thanks for doing this today. Really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me on. So the story today, and and again, I got this one, and I had asked this um, the other day because the the CBC got new money in this new mini budget. They got another $42 million because they were, I guess, running low. Their 1.3 or 4 or whatever it is, billion, didn't cover it. The CBC got $42 million despite the fact that they had given out $30 million in bonuses. So they spend $30 million in bonuses, and then they say, we're short, we need 42. All right. Well, since 2015, the CBC has given out $156 million in bonuses and raises. Franco, I, I, I'm not entirely sure I understand this. I mean, I understand it, but I'm not sure I understand why this is happening when money is so tight. If you're doing so well that you can give out bonuses to all your people... Surely that means you don't need more government money. And if you need more government money, surely it means you're not doing well enough to give out bonuses. Well, you know why this is happening? Because politicians aren't doing their job. You know the old adage, you got the fox guarding the hen house? (coughs) That's essentially what we have going on right now, where we're seeing bureaucrats, we're seeing different crown corporations, even when everyone else was struggling over the two years of the pandemic. 
giving themselves raises, giving themselves bonuses. And really, this is just a good spotlight story of the bigger problem, right? Because we just got a fiscal update from the, from the federal government, and they're giving $42 million to the CBC under the guise of, of helping the state broadcaster recover from the pandemic. Well, during the pandemic years, they handed out, the CBC handed out $51 million in bonuses and pay raises. So isn't that math something? They're getting an extra $42 million because apparently they've struggled so much during the pandemic. So they're getting an extra $42 million, but they just handed out $51 million in bonuses and raises. So I think everyday Canadians, whether you support the CBC, whether you're agnostic towards the CBC, or whether you're against taxpayers' money going to the CBC, I think we should all be raising questions as to why they're getting more money from taxpayers if they just had millions of dollars lying around to hand out bonuses during the pandemic and lockdowns. Well, and and I agree with you. I think the CBC here is simply a a way to get into this discussion. It's an obvious example because they were just mentioned specifically in this mini-budget, this fall uh, economic statement. And it's not just the CBC, though. I mean, we have seen bonuses being paid out over the course of the pandemic throughout the federal government Huge bonuses, enormous numbers of bonuses going out, even though people are not hitting targets, even though money is short, even though like all the even those. Anytime you have even though, that probably shouldn't be leading into, so we'll give you a bonus then. Even though seems to me to be the come back next year and ask for your bonus because something didn't go right. You know, I'm going to say something that I don't think is controversial. I don't think any federal government employee no matter how hard they worked, or any federal Crown Corporation employee should have received a bonus during the pandemic or the lockdowns. And I don't think that's controversial, right? Because the people who paid their salaries, by and large, were in the private sector. And what was going on over the last two years? So many people felt the pain of losing their job, taking pay cuts. Many people took significant pay cuts to keep on their job or maybe had to work reduced hours. Or imagine the gym owner down the street who worked their whole life to try to build this enterprise and who are worried that their savings wouldn't keep the lights on for two years. Well, they're going to have to pay higher taxes because you had so many government bureaucrats who got pay raises and bonuses during the pandemic. Now, I think think we're right to spotlight the CBC here because they get more than $1.2 billion every single year. We've seen their annual funding increase by more than $200 million since 2015, or 20%. So I think we're right to spotlight the CBC, but to your point, the issue goes much deeper. Well, I'll disagree with you on one point. I I don't think we should blanket say that no federal employee should get a bonus, and I'll tell you who should get a bonus if such a thing exists. If there's someone who came up with a policy or a plan or some sort of thing that was done that saved taxpayers lots and lots of money because they found a new way of doing something in a difficult time or whatever else. I have no objection to that person for their brilliance and for actually helping us. I have no objection to that person getting a bonus. But the idea that you get a bonus just for working hard, to me, is kind of outrageous because People in the private sector have been working as hard or harder, as you say, to stay afloat. 
And the idea that simply trying hard gets you a bonus, that's what your paycheck is for. You're supposed to be trying hard no matter what work you do when you go to work. You're, you're expected to put in an effort. If getting a bonus for, if you're getting a bonus for working hard, why are you getting a paycheck then? Yeah, I think you raised a good point there. My point more so with the bonuses were during the pandemic years. But let's talk about the broader issue of failing and still getting a bonus. Let's let's leave aside the CBC and let's move to another crown corporation, the Bank of Canada, under a lot of scrutiny lately. And you know what? They should be under scrutiny and they should be held accountable. But one thing is for certain. They have one objective, and that's to keep inflation around 2%. Now, regardless of you know whether it was the Bank of Canada's fault or not, it's clear that they did not meet their target of keeping inflation around 2%. And yet, the Bank of Canada still handed out $45 million in bonuses and pay raises during the pandemic years. In fact, the deputy of the Bank of Canada, the deputy governor, said that the, gover- that the Bank of Canada should be held accountable. Well, isn't that a funny way to hold your organization accountable by handing out $45 million in bonuses and raises? Let me talk about one more crown corporation, the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation. Now, this is a federal crown corporation who, according to its own website, has one objective, and that's housing affordability for all. Well, in 2020 and 2021, housing prices were going through the roof. Canadians had a hard time, almost an impossible time for many young Canadians, to buy their first home. Well, during that time, the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation handed out nearly $60 million dollars in bonuses and pay raises. And remember, all of this was happening when the Crown Corporations were failing to meet their overarching objectives and while the pandemic and lockdowns were going on. So, Franco, my question then, as you explain all this, is we hear a lot from people who complain about CEO bonuses. We hear a lot about that. People people get very angry about CEOs getting bonuses. Why do we not hear nearly as much about public sector bonus giving out? Well, there's a few reasons, I think. Number one is a lack of transparency. None of this stuff is posted online, right? Us taxpayers, we're paying the bills through our taxes, and many of us are feeling like we're paying a little bit too much taxes these days with all the hikes. But regardless, we pay for this money through our taxes. But there is no federal sunshine list. There is no uh, real disclosure of exactly what's going on, right? All of this information that we just discussed All of this information was dug up through access to information requests by the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. So we had to go digging for this information. It's not posted online. So the blame goes to two different groups of individuals. Number one, are these crown corporations, are these government departments for not proactively being transparent? But number two, and I think where the real blame goes, is on our members of parliament, right? Because we pay their salaries specifically to represent us, specifically to guard the public purse, specifically to stand up against the abuse of taxpayers' money. And you know what? They're falling asleep on the wheel when it comes to this issue. Don't don't politicians, though, generally of any stripe look better when they are care- more careful with the public money? So I'm wondering why this would be the case, because whether you're liberal, conservative, NDP, whatever... If you can say, hey, we're keeping things under control, we're trying to be fiscally responsible, that would seem to me a positive thing. So I don't understand how this keeps getting allowed to happen. Why wouldn't it be a winning formula for someone of any party to say, we're going to look at these different offices and make sure this doesn't happen? 
Well, it should. But let me give you two reasons here, okay? Uh, now, one reason is that it actually takes a lot of spine and hard work to do this. Let's make no mistake. Um, for you to, to actually rein in the bureaucracy, it takes a whole lot of hard work and a whole lot of spine. Right. I mean, let's not get into all the constitutional issues of what's going on in Ontario right now on the provincial level. But you see what that would do. You see that it's very hard for politicians to try to look after taxpayers' best interests when it comes to a government bureaucracy. Okay, but number two, and this one applies directly to the federal government specifically. It's hard for members of parliament to go to the bureaucracy and demand them not give themselves raises or bonuses. When our members of parliament during this whole pandemic helped themselves to not one, not two, but three pay raises. Since the beginning of the pandemic, our members of parliament have given themselves three pay raises. So it's pretty tough to go to the bureaucracy and demand savings when you can't even stop giving yourself a pay raise. You you mentioned the what, what's happening in Ontario right now. Let's get into that for a second because you're I mean you're the guy who runs the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. So clearly you care about what taxes are spent. We've got a situation where a lot of the public is in favor of these education workers getting more money here. I think that's there's a, f- a large number of people who believe they should get more. How do you balance that? I mean, do you believe that there should be no increases? Or how do you balance the, we want to give people who do work more money, but keep taxes down? How do you do that? Well, that's a tough question. And, you know, my focus is, is largely at the federal level. So I just don't have all the specific data here. Um, but let me just bridge back towards the federal, and hopefully people can have uh, takeaways on the provincial level as well. Um, you, you have to look at, at this case by case, I do believe. Um, and I definitely think that there shouldn't have been any pay raises going on during the pandemic, right? So if there were pay raises going on during the middle of the pandemic, while most people were told to stay home or lost their job or took cuts or lost their business, I don't think there should be any pay raises on top of that. I really don't. Um, another thing you're going to have to do is you're going to have to look at not just wages and salaries, but overall compensation, right? So uh, are there defined benefit pensions that some government employees are getting that are essentially unheard of in the private sector? Well, you also have to consider that, too, when you're negotiating uh, for wages and salaries. Let me ask you a crazy question that I've talked about on this show before, that I understand that when you and I talk about this, no one is listening and no no one's going to follow this idea. I mean, it's a crazy idea that no one would ever do. But I think it's something that someone should think about regardless. And that is this. What if federal and provincial governments had to follow the municipal model, which Mm. was if you're going to increase costs, you have to immediately go to the taxpayers and increase the taxes. You cannot run a deficit so that the taxpayers immediately, there's no dumping it into debt or deficit. If, If it's worthwhile and the taxpayers are willing to pay it, so be it. But if they're not, you will pay the price politically because they're not happy with what you've done. Some sort of balanced budget legislation, right? Um, Yes, uh, And look, they have been successfully in different parts of the world, including in in Canada. You know, uh, my home province, if I can call it that, where all my family lives, uh, is Alberta. And we saw the Alberta government, not just the municipalities in Alberta, but the Alberta government as well in the 90s, to extinguish the debt problem. To extinguish the deficit, they introduced balanced budget legislation and they introduced 
debt repayment legislation. But even around the world, there's these types of models, okay? Colorado, for example, has this interesting case study where it calls it a taxpayer bill of rights. And essentially, for many years, um, if the government wanted to increase its revenue beyond population and inflation growth, um, it would either have to return that excess revenue to the taxpayer or it would have to hold a referendum on whether or not it can essentially raise its tax take. So I do think that we should have forms of balanced budget legislation in Canada. Um, however, I would go a step further, is I think there should be some type of spending rule as well, especially at the federal level, when you consider that before the pandemic, you had the federal government spending all-time highs. So with the amount of spending that we saw pre-pandemic and the amount of spending that we're seeing now, there should be a rule that states that any new type of funding that politicians are dreaming up need to be matched with savings, at least equal savings in other areas of the budget. Yeah, you know, I, the the pandemic, we can leave that aside for a moment because I think you could also put something into a law like this that would allow for all-time world's biggest emergency situations like this one was. So leaving that aside for a second, if we had a situation, a balanced budget thing, where it said if the federal government wants to increase spending by $50 billion a year and that means that every Canadian has to spend an extra X number of dollars... As I say, I, I think it, rather than dumping that on our kids or our grandkids, it would be an immediate decision. People would make it known very quickly whether they were suddenly in favor of this or not. And when you have to pay for the things that you're getting yourself, rather than waiting for your kids or grandkids to pay for it for you, boy, I, I, I think I believe governments would be a lot more careful with the money they spend because they know that if all of a sudden at the end of a four-year term, your taxes have gone up by 25%, probably you're not going to do well at the ballot box. Well, you know what? And, and, and it would be more transparent as well, because we live in a very bad situation right now where you essentially have the government increasing spending, increasing taxes, but then also it has found a new way, or I shouldn't say new way, but it's, it's, it's doing it to a greater extent where it's funding, it's financing, it's spending, not even through taxation, not even just through borrowing in normal ways, but through the printing press. Because you had a situation, especially during the pandemic, where you had the Bank of Canada printing new money to purchase Government of Canada debt. So not only are taxes going up, carbon tax, payroll taxes, alcohol taxes, a few other different types of taxes have increased during the pandemic, not only have we seen huge deficit spending, spending going up and up and up, then on the other side, which is very non-transparent, you have the Bank of Canada printing $300 billion to help finance the federal government's deficit spending. Now, there is no free lunch when it comes to government spending, right? Either um, you pay for it down the road, you pay for it t- today directly through something like a sales tax, or you pay for it very hidden, very sneakily, through the inflation tax, which is when the Bank of Canada purchases government debt by printing new money. Yeah, I uh, yeah, we got to go. I mean, I, I, back to where we started here with CBC. And again, if this sounds like we're dumping on CBC, maybe we are. I don't know. But the idea <laughs> that with all the billion plus that they get and the bonuses that were given out that more was needed, I can't think, and this is just one crystal clear example, Franco, I can't think of a business that would say, we need more money. And when you go to people and say, why do you need more money? You say, because we gave almost the same amount of money away as bonuses. 
it's it, it's not even a logical thought process. If you went to a bank and said, I need to borrow more. Well, why? I thought we gave you enough. Well, yeah, but we gave most of what you gave us as bonuses to people. But wait a second, if you weren't making profit or making more, why were you giving bonuses? Well, you know, I don't know. They tried hard. That it, it, it makes literally in the, in, in real world terms, it makes no sense at all. Yeah, they should absolutely not be getting another $42 million when they just handed out $51 million in bonuses and raises. Yeah, well, it's only our money. Franco Terrazano, uh, Federal Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, thanks for doing this today. Thanks for having me on. It's, um, you know, it, it, is a, it is a frustration to me. It, it is, and it's it's... The CBC thing, you can love the CBC. That's fine. I don't have an objection if you like the CBC. That's that's totally okay. The CBC to me is an example. It's it's one that was very front and center in this economic statement because of the fact, I, I, I mean, honestly, put it in any other real world scenario. And when it's happened, if a, if a CEO of a company gets a lot of money, as a bonus, and then there are layoffs, people lose their mind. And you know what? I understand that. I understand that. You should be getting bonuses for doing something that saves money, that helps, that makes more profit, that does something. Not just for showing up, not just because you're there, not just because you tried hard. And people freak out when they hear stories of CEOs making big bonuses while workers aren't making more money. We hear this story all the time, all the time. And yet when it's in the federal government and it's happening, ah, who cares? No, we care. We should care. We should care. This is not how things are supposed to be operating. And you can even make a case, and I would make a case, that it's even, it should be even more, there should be even more care when it's taxpayers' money. Because it's not their money. If you're going to, if you're a shareholder and you're going to give a big bonus to the CEO of your corporation, well, that's, that's your choice to do that with your shareholder money, with the money you've invested. If you're okay with that, that's, we don't have that kind of say as taxpayers. We don't. They just say, here's how much tax you're going to have to pay. And if they start giving it away in bonuses to people because of whatever, that we got to live with that. It's not how it's supposed to work. I don't, I don't object to paying taxes. I really don't object to paying taxes. I've never not paid my taxes. I've never made a statement by saying I'm not paying taxes, nothing. I just expect that they'll be careful with my money and use it wisely. I don't think this is wisely. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.